We began back a few weeks ago in Genesis, and we are looking through the beginning of the book of Genesis. We're going to go all the way through the book of Genesis because our, our main focus is the beginning of earth and the main changes in earth, the human population, what happened to it, where we think it could have come from. We had some interesting talk last week and you guys talked, we've, we've talked a little about space and aliens, we've talked about animals and genes, and we're back to the humans, right? We watched the humans start out, they were born, well, they were created, and then the first generation was born, and the very first generation born was born in sin, right? You remember mankind is born in sin. What does that mean, that they're born in sin? Is the act of having a baby wrong? So what's born in sin? part of your nature, right? If you were born a cheetah, you would not be sitting here, okay? <laughs> you would be running somewhere, yes, because you can, right? And you would probably be catching something and eating it right now, uh, or starving somewhere waiting for that thing to catch and eat somewhere. So they're born with a certain nature, and their nature was is not sinful. It's a cheetah nature, right? Humans were born in sin because their parents really messed it up to begin with, right? And there was rebellion which changed which part of their nature? Okay, so that's, that's where we began. Remember our fast spirit man here. Um, because it talks about, it says, like, your spirit is quickened. Yes, know? right. So, like, it was dead. Your spirit's dead. So the spirit is the inside, right? The inner part, which you as a human could live your entire life and not know. And that's the one major piece of your nature that changed. After Adam and Eve sinned, that day, the human race's spirit died. And so that spirit that Adam and Eve passed on to their children was dead already. Okay? That spirit, if they would have not sinned, they would have passed on a living spirit. And how did they get the spirit? From their parents. How did Adam and Eve get the spirit? Oh, oh from the Lord. How? Specifically says. They God breathed. God breathed his spirit, right, into them, and they became a living being. And that living being, yes, also was their mind, or their soul, as we would call it, and their body. So in that day, death came about to all three. So in the nature of mankind, they are born unaware they just live as their as as their nature says do you think cheetahs know they are cheetahs 
They live, and they do what their nature says for them to do, right? They live as they were created to live. Humans lived, but with a big piece of them dead. Their intended purpose was dead. And so when that spirit was passed down dead to each and every generation, each and every generation was unaware that they did not have a living spirit in them. Who knew the worst? Who knew the worst part of losing that spirit? Adam and Eve knew it, right? Because they had it, and it died, right? They knew what it was like to be open and free in thought and free in spirit, very intelligent, connected with their most godly part, the image of God, right? Connected with that. They knew what it was like to live that way, and then they lost it which must have really brought some major sorrows on them. And mankind was born in sorrow after that. Why are they born in sorrow? Because as she looked at that new baby, the spirit was dead in it. And then she realized as they grew up, they had that rebellious, that first time that that kid must have started really been nasty back, she must have said, what did we do? What did we do? We passed this whole thing on to every generation and that generation doesn't even know it. They will never know what it's like to walk with God. But God said, I will send, I have a plan, right? But here we are at the beginning of Genesis, and that plan seems so far away. So very far away, because it was only a few generations away, and the earth had crumbled. Now, there are some major life-changing events that happen, and lots of things can happen. A baby is born, that's a major life-changing event. And you'll say, well, yeah, that's really, it's just lots of things. Someday when you have a child and it is yours to take care of and you can't get rid of it day and night, right? You will say, wow, this really changed my life. And not in an easy way many times, okay? That's a life-changing event. Or you could have that baby and lose that baby. That's a life-changing event. Lose a child. You could lose a house. That's a life-changing event, right? Your house, you're in the middle of it, in the middle of the night, and the house starts on fire, and you just get out with your life. That makes you think about what's valuable and what's not in this life. It's life-changing, right? There are things in this life that form how you think, and you decide what's going to happen, but they are major and they shake you to the core. When I was young, my neighbors across the road, we had some neighbors across the road, and it was not unusual for them to make noise at night. Um, it was not unusual for them to have loud music going. They had a younger uh, kid that lived there, liked to party, was in his late teens. 
But one night in the middle of the night, I remember being woken up, I think it was about one in the morning, with the most terrifying cry that I've ever heard in my life. And I remember it, and I remember a great commotion in my neighbor's yard. There were flashing lights, there were all sorts of things. My friend across the road and his father had just received news. Well, it wasn't my friend, it was actually part of that. My friend who lived across the road, sometimes we played together. Uh, he was probably, I don't know, 14 years old maybe, 13, 14 years old. He was riding in the car with his mother and his sister. And they were going from Oakfield towards our house. And when they came up over the hill, there was two teenagers who had decided to drag race up the road side by side. One was going in the lane that the direction they should go and one was going against traffic so that they could race. And they were probably, they figured they were going 80, 90 miles an hour. And they hit head on my friend, he was in the back of the car, sitting in the back seat, and his sister and his mother were in the front seat. And somehow he dove from the back of the car when he saw the collision going to happen. And his mother and his sister were killed instantly. And that cry was their father, the, the husband and father of that girl and that, that woman in the middle of the night learning about it. The police came and told them what had happened. And what a life-changing thing. You can never come back from that kind of thing and say, my life's exactly like it was before. You can never do that. Things will change. Events happen and things will change and things will never be the same. And so we're looking at a time period, a breaking point in the Bible here, where there is this major tragedy that occurs and the world is not going to be the same in so many ways afterwards. But the tragedy is the worst part and we see what's happening. We're going to read in... Uh, chapter number six as we look and see what happens. We're going to talk about Noah and his flood. We're going to go to chapter six of book of Genesis. Noah and his flood are written down in the book of Genesis chapter six and I think seven and eight. He's in those chapters as well. And Noah has a flood that happens to the entire earth. And the flood is not so much the tragedy as what happened prior to the flood. That's what we're looking at. God created mankind with incredible intellect, with incredible ability to build things. We still have ancient monuments that seemed to have survived even through the flood. And we will get into that as time goes on. 
things that we can't replicate even with our big machinery and things that we have today. Things where they moved blocks of stone 300 tons per block. 300 tons of stone. What do you do with that? You can have a million people. Can't get them all around it to lift it. Right? So you have these brilliant people that are building things. There's evidence of science, early uh, nautical science, navigational science. We talked about maps and we talked about the things that some of these early people did. Having all these technologies, they actually appear to be very intelligent. And God is, last week you learned a little bit more about these very intelligent people and you learned about some of them mixing the sons of men and the, and the sons of God or the daughters of men and the sons of God mixing and the two different interpretations that could be from that right as one interpretation is what that they were what remember nephilim. the nephilim nephilim yep which were possibly the angels came down. That was one of the interpretations. The others are these really, really intelligent people, okay, which tends to be more believable, right, about it. But either way, the old earth before the flood was an incredible place. Creatures that we only can find the bones of today, right, pre-flood. In the amounts, prolific creatures there, where we don't see that many because this major change is about to happen. But God sees these very intelligent creatures that He's created and the purpose that He has, He starts to. to look at changing that purpose. Now he's always known that he's going to redeem the world. How is he best going to redeem the world? Well, it seems as though he's come up against a point in which he needs to make some changes to the way the world was originally put together. So all of these superstructures and super creatures, I'll call them, of the past somehow have to be limited. Now you remember last week you talked about the 120 years, right? And you begin to see mankind limit their years younger, younger, younger. How many people do you know that are over 90 years old? One. One. Any more than that? So nobody knows of anybody over 100. Nobody knows anybody over 110, right? <laughs> anybody know anybody at 115, 120? Because it seems as though, even though we're saying we're getting so much better and we're doing so much better as a human race, we're just not. The average mankind's lifespan is somewhere around 77 for men, and it might be a couple of years older for women, the average. Okay? That's not 120 even anymore. It seems as though even with all of our technology and all of our medicine and all the things that we do, 
we don't have the ability to change life and death. We just don't have it. We think we do, but we don't. And the intelligence that we have, and we have built upon others' intelligence and try to create scientific things, and I'm all for creating all the science and all the medicine that we can to help people. But understand there are limits. And even though people can say, oh, we've, we've brought up the average lifespan of humankind from 76 to 78. Big deal. Who cares? These guys were living 600, 700 years, 800 years, 900 years we have people living in. And God says, you can't live that long. Why? Why? Why can't they live that long? Because it gives them more opportunity to turn to God. More opportunity. And evil grows more. There were only a handful of generations between Adam and Noah. They were long generations, but those people, there were so many people that grew and grew and grew and grew, and so much evil that started. The earth was in like super evil genius mode. Because all those people put all their intelligence towards doing bad things. Let's go into Genesis chapter 6, verse number 1 through 7, as we look and see what happened. Genesis 6, verse 1 through 7, please. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. But the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them... Men, wives of all which age. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be be an hundred and twenty. Just pause there for a moment. As we see God, godly people are mixing with ungodly people. And in that, in a family where godly people and ungodly people mix, usually it's not the godly people that win out. It, the human nature tends to go to a place where you have to fight it and fight it and fight it. Very rarely do the godly people win out in those situations, unless if God specifically reaches down, works through that person's life. Most of the time, the godly person is worn down. It's just, I can't, I can't fight it my whole life. Continue. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And they repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowl of the air, and the and for it repented me that I have made them. Okay. 
So here's God's description of mankind. That they only thought all evil things continually. <coughs> That's pretty rough. Right? You could say, well, you know, I think of something bad once in a while, but most of my thoughts are at least just neutral, if not, I try to be good thoughts. When God looked down across the earth, these giant men, these men who were super in spirit and super in, uh, well, not necessarily spirit because it was dead, but super in personality, in mind, in soul, and super in body. God says, if these people are allowed to continue in this nature and pass these genes on further, 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 further down, there's going to be so much evil in the world, they'll destroy the world and destroy themselves. I can't let this happen because God had his plan. God already promised his plan. What was his plan and his, and his promise to Adam and Eve? That the seed of a woman would crush the head of the snake and Okay, right? So there was someone coming to stop this evil. Someone coming to stop this evil, right? And it was going to be someone born of woman. So humankind had to be alive to get there. But humankind got so evil so fast, and all they could do was imagine evil nasty things to do to one another. And so the earth began to crumble in the society, in its core. Right? So God says, I have repented of making man. What does repent mean? Talk about repenting from sins. Um... I see how we, we put that in oftentimes, and we feel regret, right? But that's not really what God necessarily feels, because God knew his plan from all along. Repent. Here's an interesting way to look at it. Here's sin in front of me, and I'm going to turn around and go the other way. Okay? That's to repent, to stop what you're doing, and change your direction. And so God's plan originally, although, yes, he knew from the beginning, and I'm not saying God changed his mind. That's what I'm careful not to say. He didn't regret making mankind because he knew the long-term plan was still there, right? And he knew through humans he was going to bring about Jesus through humans. And he had that plan all in mind, but he said... I have to turn this around right now because it's growing so fast. So he brought to that generation and he said, this is it. We're going to stop here. I am going to destroy all the beasts and all the people. I have to stop it. Why do you think he wanted to destroy the animals too? Quiet tonight. 
<laughs> well, I don't know exactly either. But think about this. He was willing to take his entire creation and destroy it so that mankind could have something different and new and fresh. Really, for us, right? Out of love, he says, I'm going to start this new and fresh. And how do you do it? I'm going to wipe it away. I'm going to wipe away not just mankind, but it is going to be so catastrophic what he's going to do. It's going to change the entire earth and its entire course in how it sat even in the universe. Okay? So let's continue on verse 8, 9, and 10. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. These are the, the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, so here he is, one guy, one family. You know the story, right? And is he a good man? He was a just man. He was a just man. And, and what made him just? He was perfect in his generation. Hebrews 11, 7, I'll just read it here. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. He's the only one to trust God in the whole earth. And it doesn't even say his family was just as he was. Now, did his family? Maybe. God saved them. Might have been for his sake, or it might have been that they were righteous people. Doesn't really say. But we do know Noah is still of Adam and Eve's seed. Right? So he's still got a sinful nature. And you find later, as you read the story of Noah, he does sin. And so do his sons. Okay? Continue. Verse number 11. Chapter 6, verse number 11 through 13, please. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Okay, so here it is. Noah and his family are the only ones. And everyone else is thinking evil continuously. Okay, evil thoughts. And what else? Says it a couple times in those last couple verses. What marks that society? How do you know it's bad? 
corrupted. They're corrupt. Okay. They corrupted his way, it says. So God, they turned away from God and didn't. Corrupt, yep, turn from God. And that's true, turn from God. But I think Gideon said it. I heard him, violence. Violence is one of those markers in society. When society begins to increase in violence, it's a mark that it is about ready to come apart. Right? It's a marker to say things are getting very bad when violence is constantly throughout people. Sound familiar, right? Right? We see things and hear things with riots, people being killed, all sorts of things. When sin is rampant, violence is one of the first big signs that things are crumbling. And God says they're violent. <coughs> they're violent people. They have evil thoughts all the time. They're corrupt. They don't tell the truth. They think how they can hurt people. They don't care if they hurt other people. They have no good thoughts. They are violent, and they use that violence. Now, you can look at, and this is, can be a very uh, chilling thing to do. I know some people that really uh, are interested in looking at people that are like serial killers and things. There's something that's interesting about learning about them, they're typically very intelligent people. They're using their talents and their brains in an evil way. And it resorts to violence. It usually doesn't start that way. It usually begins with other things that they get off track with. Typically, family lives are falling apart, things like that. Um, and, and it feeds into fears and it feeds into mistrust and it feeds into all these things which feeds into anger. And then it feeds into violence. So violence is that big flag in a society to look for when violence is everywhere, we're nearing the end of that society. We're coming near to it, right? But know that Noah and his family lived in that for several hundred years together, right? They lived in that time when God says, all right, I'm gonna destroy it, build an ark. And from that time through was over a century. Till when the ark actually got built and Noah got in that and the floods came and destroyed everything. Those people were living for a century. In fact, the first time God announced his judgment was through a man named Methuselah. Methuselah is famous because, anybody know why Methuselah is famous? He was mentioned like once in the Bible. Mentioned once. For what? Do you know what he's for? What he's most famous for? His name basically means a sword, or it means judgment. Like, I'm going to come with a sword and chop it in half. I'm going to get rid of it. That's what his name means. Methuselah 
basically meant when Methuselah died that judgment was coming. And Methuselah is most famous for having been the longest recorded life of any man ever. So God says, I am bringing judgment on this earth when Methuselah dies. And he lived 969 years. Because God is patient and God does not want just to destroy people. God wants them to repent. Did people repent during that time frame? Well, we don't know exactly. They could have repented and died. They could have repented and died. I wouldn't have said yes because God says when it's one person that gathers in God's name, He wouldn't ever destroy that. So, so, so when He just wiped out the earth, Noah and if his family too, so like it, He wouldn't have destroyed that. Right, because you know God, right? You know about how God acts. He loves people. He gives chances. We see Abraham saying, hey, if there's only five people or if, there, if there's ten people left in the city that are righteous, can you not destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? And he says, if there's ten people, I won't. Well, it turns out there wasn't even three. Okay? And he sent Lot and his wife and two daughters out from the city because there were only four lot made it out his wife looked back and turned to a pillar of salt his daughters came out with him and committed <coughs> incest with him and had children with their own father got him drunk and did that right because it was so twisted and society easily gets that way when sin mixes in and it's allowed to run and so God says I got to chop that off and start again. And God has ever since the beginning throttled and held back the growth of sin through many, many different things. And that's the interesting part. God is holding back sin. And it says in the end times, God will basically let it go and let it grow at its own rate. And it has been growing because God has been throttling, right? We saw from the beginning, you start out with one, and then you quickly raise, 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 and it quickly went like this, and then the flood came, and here's Noah and his family, and it starts again, and it raises, and God throttles it back, and he 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 says it'll go through humankind until the end. God will let it go, and it'll just get crazy at the end times super destructive, violent, and many things. You will see it. You know, where on the curve do we sit? Remember, time time is very short. At this end, it's just a little tiny blip. And once he lets it go, it's going to go out of control. Because that's the nature of sin. We don't understand how destructive and painful sin really is. We look at it and say, eh, that's a little one. It doesn't really hurt anybody. It's just me. I don't mean anything by it. And it's an uninformed way that we approach the world and we say, eh, sin's not really a big deal. Because we don't understand it. We don't understand 
the desperation of it way down deep inside of us. So this is what the corruption and the violence are happening. Right? And that's how you're marking that society. Now here's an interesting thing. Let's turn to Matthew. Keep your hand back in Genesis. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. This is how Jesus describes the end times. And he says some really interesting things. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 30 through 39. This is Jesus again telling about when the end time comes, when the Son of Man will appear. This is how it will happen and some of the markers you'll see. Matthew 24, verse 30 through 39. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall <clears throat> send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather to gather his elect from the four winds from one end. <clears throat> of the heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. Okay. Keep going. Okay. Through 39. Oh. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, <coughs> ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the Doors. Okay, so end times are coming. You watch just like when you see the shoots come out on the trees outside. You know summer's close, right? It's right there, right at the end. You watch for the signs. Okay, keep going, please. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That's Noah also, okay? Keep going. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And And knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son be. Okay, so he's describing the end times. This is how it's going to be. It's going to be like in the last days of Noah. And in the last days of Noah, we know from Genesis, people were thinking evil continuously. It was a violent world. Sin had began to grow. We have other evidences that the end times, sin is going to just go out of control. Right? Our jobs to live in that world and live for Christ may be, sorry, got hair in my mouth, maybe harder, okay, maybe harder at that moment but we'll be called to have faith and God will give us that strength wherever we are in life to stand. Because he's created us for the moment in time when we are living. Right? I'm not even created for the same time you guys are. Right? Someday, probably, I'll die before you guys die. 
right? You may have things to do in that next 20 years of life if all goes as you might think it would go, and maybe it won't even go that way, but you may have those things to do which you're created for that I wasn't made for and prepared for, okay? So understand the generation torch must pass on it with God's people and to stop doing like what they did where they mixed people and they kept getting further and further away from God. So it says, in the days of Noah, what did they do at the end? In the, until the very last day, they were doing this. He says four things they were doing. And giving in marriage. So they're, they're eating and drinking, right? Eat and drink. Which, okay, not as big a deal, but I think he's referring to more of partying kind of thing. Okay, we're celebrating. And marriage is, is, is a happy thing, right? We're giving in marriage and getting married. In other words, we're living our lives like nothing's happening. Right? Unaware. It says, till the day that Noah walked up into that ark, the crazy guys out there building the ark. Ha! What an idiot. And the day that Noah walked into that ark and God shut the door behind him, those people lived like nothing was wrong. That's the scary part of the days before Noah is that the people didn't even know. Or, even worse, they didn't care that they were doing evil things. I think Noah told them many times, God's going to bring judgment. God's going to bring judgment. We can't live like this. We can't do these things. We can't think evilly. We can't live in a violent way. And they said, eh, what do you know? See, it's mankind's natural, born in sin, where they say, you can't tell me what to do. I don't care if you're God. I don't care anything about you. You can't tell me what to do. I do it for me. I live how I want to live. I say what I want to say. I do what I want to do. That is the marker of a society that has turned corrupt with evil thoughts. Because who does that say? Me, me, me. I don't care who I hurt. I don't care what consequences for anybody else. I do what I need to do for me. And many movements today are very subtly put into that direction. They, they... They want you to come in and say, well, isn't it good to be self and independent, self-run, a self-made person, right? There's nothing wrong with having pride in your work and doing a good job. There's nothing wrong with excelling. There is everything wrong with pride. That's a different thing. Pride Pride, living and saying, I am better than everyone else. Not only am I better than everyone else, I can't be told what to do. I don't listen to anyone else. I listen to me, and I'm my own boss, and no one tells me what to do, including God. And so the society is marked that way. We see it, 
these people lived it and they had no idea or like I said even worse I don't think they cared God's not going to do anything to me what does he think he could tell me what to do he can't tell, tell me what to do Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and 10. This is a one of those verses. It's great to know it. Because it can help you understand sometimes terrible things that happen in this earth. Sometimes you just question, like, how could it ever get this bad? How could that person do this? How could they say that to me? Or how could they do that to their family or other people? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 9 and 10. This is God's estimation of what the human heart is like. And this is every human heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Okay. Two things that the heart is. The heart of man is, number one? Deceitful. Deceitful. What does deceitful mean? Tricky, lying. Tricky, lying. To who? Everybody. Well, you're not going to lie to God, right? He already knows the truth, right? You lie to yourself, right? You lie to others and you lie to yourself. In other words, these people, these evil people, as they're evil, continuously thinking evil, always corrupt, with violence in their hearts, they are saying inside of their hearts, no one can touch me. That old man Noah, he's a fool. That fake God of his, he can't touch me. I can do what I want to do. That sounds exactly like the father of lies, which is Satan himself. He's got the very same thoughts. And so they take on, like, just like, just like Satan, they take on that very same thought to say, I am untouchable. No one can do to me what I don't want. And that's just plain old deceit. They are deceiving themselves. They cannot think straight. And not only that, besides deceitful, it is what kind of wicked? Desperately. desperately wicked. Not just, hey, that's a wicked guy. He's desperately wicked. In other words, anything he can do to do wrong, even if I have to lie to myself, I'm going to do it. So when we are in the middle of sin, in our lives, what do we do? When we're in the middle of sin and we don't want to hear about it, what do we do? We don't tell the truth to ourselves. We justify what we're doing. We justify the things that, our, that ourselves are doing, okay? And we say, well, that other guy, when he does it, it's terrible. I don't do that kind of thing. Meanwhile, here I am doing the very same thing, just to another person. We're 
deceitful to ourselves and desperately wicked. And that's exactly what these people are doing. They are fooling themselves when they think they can live however they want without a consequence ever. Though God is merciful in a Methuselah type way, I'm going to give you 969 years before judgment comes. I'm going to tell you what should be, what to change, where, where we should not be. You should not be doing this. But many times people just don't care. Just don't care. I want to do what I want. I want what I want and I'm going to do it. And you say, well, I don't know that we've gotten that bad. Because I'll tell you, at the time that they were doing this, and even after the flood... God destroyed societies that were violent. They were sacrificing their children. To the God of Molech, they used to take their new babies, their newborn babies, and they heated this big iron statue up, or big stone statue up, with a hot, hot fire, and they take their brand new baby and put it in there and burn it to death. As a sacrifice. Without a care. And you say, well, I don't know anybody like that. When we take the life of a very small child, there's not innocence in that. Understand that. And it's not that God won't forgive and it's not the many things, but we see that in our society today. Right? Abortion takes children all the time, kills little babies, innocent babies. And there are movies and pictures, ultrasounds. If you ever get the joy of seeing an ultrasound of a little baby, you'll be amazed to see what's happening. And there are people who, uh, there was a lady who used to perform abortions, and she one time watched as they took a terrible instrument and essentially chopped the baby in half and sucked it out. And she watched that little baby one time because she had to watch it on the ultrasound monitor as she was helping the doctor do this. The baby moved away from her to try to get away in the womb. And that affected her. It is no different. And they can make a political issue out of it and they can do whatever they want with it. But remember... The human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says it's wrong to commit murder. And that's the end of it. That's the end of it. That's what it says. And what's the purpose? Well, that's kind of inconvenient. I don't want that right now. I want what I want. I don't want the consequence of that, having a child in my life. I want what I want in my life. And there are tragic circumstances that happen that bring about children. I'm not saying that uh, is not a very difficult circumstance, but those children had nothing to do with that tragic circumstance. And what, what a terrible loss to lose a child. God loves life. He created life. He loves life, okay? And those are things that happens. 
in this life. There's unnatural things. God says, I created a man, I created a woman, and this is the way you should live. That creates a family. You have children. That's the way it is. And mankind shakes his fists and says, I will be what I want to be. If I don't want to be what you created me, I'm going to be what I want to be. That's deceitful and desperately wicked. I won't be told what to do. Right? You can't tell me who I can be with. You can't tell me how I'm supposed to be. You're my creator. Of course you can tell me how I'm supposed to be. Right? That's how it works. But mankind, when they lost their innocence and they were born in sin, we deceive ourselves. We can't even see what is happening within ourselves. Right? And mankind continues to grow in violence, continues to grow in terrible things. God says love, and they says we won't, we will hate. Meanwhile, they're shouting, don't hate, choose love. And what are they doing? Hate continues to grow and grow and grow. Right? It's not about some snappy slogan that you create. It's about following God or not. You can't slogan your way out of evil. Right? You follow God. You go after Him. And you ask for forgiveness. And you repent. And He helps you. And He changes you. Because He's promised to do that. Right? We say we're going to redefine family in our society. You can't tell me it's a mother and a father and children. God says, yes, I can. It's in the Bible. I created it. I wrote it down. That's what it is. Right? But everything becomes a battle. Everything becomes a battle. From day one through the end. And so God floods the earth. And animal populations are saved only to of each. And they have to grow back and repopulate. Not in the seas. <coughs> many die in the seas, but not as many as only leaving two left, right? But they repopulate the earth through two. And God slims everything way back down to keep his promise. To say, I will bring about Redeemer through mankind. So, the pre-flood world versus the post-flood world is a whole different matter. Think of the sorrow. You lost everybody. Every friend. Every relative. Noah lost everybody. Except for his immediate family. God wiped everyone out. And they wouldn't choose to follow God. And I'm sure Noah begged at times, please just follow God. Please come with us. Please believe. I won't be told what to do. And up until the very day that God shut that ark, we're living our best life, man. We're doing what we want. Doing what I want to do. Can't be told what to do. And God says... That's foolish. You threw away the opportunity to live for that moment. Threw away your opportunity at redemption. 
a change, something else, so you could have what you wanted at that moment. And so God takes that huge growth and sin and says, nope, we're going to squish it down and hold it back because I want every one of you to live. I want all these people through these generations to live in my creation, to be there. And I want all of those people that will accept me to come with me. That's what God wants. He's always wanted to redeem the world ever since, well, even before, says the foundation of the world. He wanted to redeem the world. And so God creates this flood and changes the whole world, changes everything, possibly as much as changes the axis of the earth during this catastrophic flood. Huge mudslides, rock slides, huge geological uh, laydowns of of full animals in fossil records. He lays all this down as evidence. And everybody says, nope, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to take it. You can't tell me what to do. He leaves behind so much. And we're going to talk about some of that next time. Thank you very much.